We are now recording, and away we go. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 156. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is Art Garfunkel. <laughs> nice. I was wondering whatever happened to him. There, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, this week we're going to be talking about our personal favorite film critics from when we were growing up and who we like now and all that fun stuff. Um, before we get to all that stuff, let's talk about what we've watched over the past week or so. Uh, Barry, why don't you go first? All right. Um, I saw a film that it's by far one of my favorites of the year. It's called Of Gods and Men. It was in theaters briefly in the springtime. It did about $4 million in uh, the U.S., uh, which is pretty good for a film that's in French and about a bunch of Algerian monks. Um, of Gods and Men, it stars totally. <laughs> Lambert Wilson, who was the French villain in the last two Matrix movies, and also Michael Lonsdale, who people remember as Drax, the Bond villain in uh, Moonraker. Um, forget what you know about these guys in previous films. They are extraordinary in this film. It's basically, uh, I believe it took place in 1996. Is the true story of these monks who, who found out that all sorts of terrorism was happening around uh, the town where their monastery is, and instead of running, they decided to stay there with their townspeople and face the violence, um, which doesn't even really make it sound that interesting to describe it that way, I realize, and it's a hard movie really to describe, and I recommend just see the thing. It's a beautiful film. Um, there is a dinner table scene in which there's no dialogue, um, just music, and it's one of the most extraordinary scenes I've seen all year. I was crying like a baby. Um, this is a beautiful film, beautiful, and I, I recommend everybody see it. It's by far one of the best films of 2011, finally. Um, I finally saw The Jazz Singer, this the second remake, which starred Neil Diamond and Laurence Olivier. Um, Ooh, there's nice. A, there's a reason this movie has the reputation as being one of the cheesiest films of all time. In fact, trivia, Neil Diamond was the first man to ever win the Rat Award for Best Actor based on his performance in this film. And it's no mistake, he looks on stage because, you know, it's, it's, it's a remake of the Jolson film, you know, where uh, his disapproving papa wants him to be a Jewish priest, and uh, Neil Diamond, on the other hand, wants to be a rock and roll star. So all the scenes of Neil Diamond on stage, like performing America, they're fine because, you know, he's in his element. He's, you know, being, he's being Neil, Neil Diamond. Diamond yeah. Right. When he's playing this character, and certainly when he has to share scenes with Olivier, he's visibly very embarrassed. He looks uh, kind of bashful and shy and kind of awkward. Um, but, you know, you can't blame the movie entirely on him. Uh, the film, I always say bad movies all have irredeemable moments, and the, and the one in this movie comes at exactly six minutes in. I timed it. Six minutes in, where Neil Diamond, you see what he does. Like, he goes to church, and he performs, you know, for his father, who's very proud of him, but then he sneaks off to perform with his rock and roll band, and one night, um, he's with his band, and he's the only white guy in the band. They're performing at an all-African-American club, so Diamond puts on blackface. No, and a, a, like a like a like a like a Afro wig, like like iced tea wig and in Leprechaun in the Hood kind of bad wig, or like like Soul Man. Yes, like Soul Man, exactly. And he performs in this scene, and the, the scene again. It's six minutes into the movie, and uh, the one African American in the club who realizes that it's a white guy and freaks out is played by none other than Ernie Hudson. This is 1979 <laughs> before Ernie Hudson was Ernie Hudson, and then this this bar fight breaks out of, of which like you see like. You know Neil Diamond getting into the fight. Watching Neil Diamond getting into a fight is just fun in general. But anyway, this is this is this is definitely one of those so bad it's hilariously bad movies. It's it's really terrible. Uh, good or or worse than uh, Saving Silverman, the other Neil Diamond film. A terrific double feature with Saving Silverman. Thank you for bringing it up. I and but to tell you the truth, I think I'd rather watch the Jazz Singer again than Saving Silverman. For me, that was just a what? Really pain, that was a painful, painful movie. 
Um, <laughs> you don't let uh, Jack Black yelling, die replacement friends. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jack Black and Steve Zahn are in that one, right? That's the one where they, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I, I remember liking their, the scene where they put on the pantyhose and they, the, the heist. I thought that was a funny scene, but beyond that, I, I, I really, really hate it. That's the one where Jason Biggs gets a butt implant, right? Is that the one? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. I, sure. Yeah. I'm not a fan of Saving Silverman, but you know what? I, I, for for all the crap I'm giving the jazz singer, I still think it has the edge over Saving Silverman in terms of quality. Um, for a movie that doesn't have any quality, um, I am number four, which was not. Mis- <laughs> I am number two. I am number one. Um, I am number four. Well, thankfully, there will be no. I am number five. Uh, full of really appealing looking young actors who are unfortunately not really actors, more like model turn actors. It's got a lot of action in it, but it, it seems like one of these movies that just tries to be, again, one of these movies that tries to be all things for all people. Uh, it has a climax with a shootout in a high school, a chick doing martial arts, these two monsters duking it out, this big laser battle on the football field, and uh, none of it's really any good or interesting and left an impression on me at all. And you know, and I, I want to like a movie like this, but it's it's just... It's just pure cheese, and, and they spent way too much money on what should have been a really simple movie. You know what's interesting about I Am Number 4, though? It's clearly trying to be Twilight for guys. Because <laughs> I'm serious. The main character, Number 4, all he is— Isn't he, that essentially precluded from being guys, period? Well, that's it. But they were clearly, visibly trying to make a Twilight like you know franchise for guys. Because the main character, Number 4, he's basically Bella and Edward combined. Because on one hand, he's hot, he's sullen, he's quiet. But he's also really moody and pensive like Bella. And he narrates the film in this really— Awful narration. Timothy Oliphant is in this film, unfortunately. It's just it's just a really bad film. If you haven't seen it, skip it. Um, the last two I wanted to report on, um, I've been going back watching a lot of summer sci-fi movies, uh, one of which I've never seen before, which is Logan's Run. Thoroughly enjoyed Logan's Run. Right on. It's completely campy, completely and utterly campy, and it, it peaks uh, definitely. All the scenes that take place in the utopia are really terrific. All the scenes of them on the run outside in the real world, especially all the... Uh, all, all that stuff is, is is kind of hit and miss, but certainly all the stuff inside the Utopia with all the, the model effects and the um, digital, not digital effects, excuse me, pre-digital effects are great. Um, definitely fun. Um, and then finally, went back and visited this film because it's been 15 years now since I've seen John Frankenheimer's The Island of Dr. Moreau with Marlon Brando Ooh. and Val Kilmer. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it in a long time and I wanted to give it another shot. And uh, you, know, it's, you know, it's much worse than I remember, which, is, which I didn't think was possible. Um, the first time I saw it, I thought that the scene with the animal orgy where uh, Val Kilmer impersonates Marlon Brando and gets stoned and oversees this animal orgy where all the actors in fur costumes are acting like the cast of Cats and Heat. I thought that was the worst part of the movie, but no, it's actually one of many. Um, that one, <laughs> Dr. Moreau, I would put it up there with The Jazz Singer. It's one of these movies that I got to say it was bad, but it's so enjoyably bad, hypnotically bad. In fact, hypnotically awful that uh, I would probably watch it again any time of the week. And that's it for me. All right, Ethan. I know you've seen a lot of stuff of Fantasia, which we're going to talk about next week. Anything you want to bring up in the meantime? Yeah, wh- why not, Dave? Hey, um, go ahead. Hey, hey. Um, it's Tony. Oh. Hey. <laughs> got it. That's an end joke. Yes. Anyway, uh, I watched Kiss Me Deadly for the first time ever. Oh, great. Film noir. Yeah, but but with a twist. Yes. A twist. Nice. Yeah, it is a, the, the ending of the the or should I say the last 20 minutes or so of it is pretty strange and I think it's clearly a metaphor for something which I'm not sure mm. but I enjoyed it either way good film um, I watched uh, Douglas Sirk's All That Heaven Allows for the first time oh nice 
it was uh, interesting watching this because I I had seen Ollie Fury eats the soul like a few months ago, and clearly uh, Fastbinder was uh, homaging this with that film, and seeing how he seeing like certain scenes in this which I you'd see like Fastbinder do a kind of a, a spin on it, and that was interesting. And I I'm glad I saw this because I'd always thought that I've been thinking recently that maybe just melodrama wasn't to my taste because I'd watched. Uh, Lucino Visconti's Senso recently, well, I thought it was a really beautiful-looking movie, just the melodramatic aspect of it just really did nothing for me. I just thought maybe just my tastes don't go towards that, but I really enjoyed this. I think it, it looks amazing. The way uh, Cirque uses, like, color is fantastic, and it actually is, even though it is a little, I guess, for our times, a little over the top, it is still, I thought, emotionally affecting, so I'd recommend that. Great. Um, and last I watched, uh, Miranda July's Me and You and Everyone We Know. Oh. I wish I'd say, I really like, it was completely different than I expected. Like, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with Miranda July and her background, but I was expecting this to be more of like a Little Miss Sunshine, Juno, Garden State kind of thing. When it's more like a Adam McGoyan or David Lynch movie, it's yeah. like this, t- the tone of it is so strange and... It has such an interesting mood. Uh, so I, I don't, yeah, it's nothing at all like those like really cloying, quirky indie movies. <laughs> right. So I definitely recommend it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Oh, and, yeah, good. Oh, no, you, you, you I'm just going to say, no, I appreciate you saying that, Ethan, because I've been thinking about, it, about this a lot. This actually came up in my crazy, uh, stupid love review. Um, just how I miss when art, pardon me, but I miss when art movies had balls. I miss when like art movies meant like Blue Velvet and The Crying Game. Because you're right, because like, as much as I liked Win Win and as much as I liked uh, Cedar Rapids, this is, that's the example of an art movie now. And they're all starting to become, you know, kind of interchangeable. They're all quirky. They've all got the little ding, 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 ding music. And they've all got celebrities in them. And you're right. Like I expected me and you and everyone you know to be like, you know, like Juno or Little Miss Sunshine. But you're right. It, it's, it's very strange. And it's edgy and it takes some interesting risks and nothing in the movie is a given which I really liked gotta love it cool you had one more thing you wanted to add it? oh one more thing uh, this is a movie that I I saw a press screening of it and I, I don't know if there's an embargo or not but I know it, it already played at the uh, Just for Laughs film festival here well there's Just for Laughs but they also show a few films and it's this uh, Canadian film called Servitude and it's basically the same movie as uh, Waiting with Ryan Reynolds, if you remember that. Yes. This it, movie it, it, is, is the biggest fucking piece of shit I have ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. Did you want to throw an angry goat at it? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> oh. Okay, so... Uh, this movie, it's it's like about this fucking douche... Sorry, I'm, I'll, I'll put away this. I just, this movie, oh. It's about this, like, douchey guy who works at, like, this uh, kind of Applebee's kind of restaurant. And it's, like, his last night because he's going to quit and go to law school. And basically, the guy, I'd say he's, like, a better-looking Jay Baruchel. <laughs> okay. I'm not saying anything. And, uh, there's, and there's all these quirky characters that work at the restaurant with him. Like, there's this, like gay Asian guy and there's like this like really horny bro and there's like this really perky girl and uh, there's like some actual well-known people and like Margot Kidder shows up as a cougar and just oh she's so it's so awkward and uh, Enrico Colantoni from uh, Veronica Mars yeah plays like this German guy who uh, inspects the restaurant and uh, Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall plays the owner of the restaurant 
And those three people, I at least got some enjoyment out of them because okay. I thought they were at least kind of funny. But this movie just it's like it's like worse than like a straight to video American Pie sequel. <laughs> All the humor in it is just the worst. Oh, it's you know, just to mention that like usually movies like this, I can say, well, you know, it's just kind of harmless. This movie is racist, homophobic, misogynistic. It's just the worst. And like, I saw this at a press screening, and I know that you know when there's not that many other people in the theater, they're all critics. Usually, it's not going to be a big reaction. But seriously, throughout this movie, like, not a single laugh. Oof. Oh. All right then. So, so this is doubled as your therapy for the week. And uh, for oh, I mentioned my my college TV show. Well, uh, Alex, my roommate, he interviewed the director because. If I'd been there, <laughs> why does your movie suck? Fair enough. Yeah. Wow. All right. I actually saw a few posters for this on uh, the Internet Movie Poster Awards dot uh, com yeah, site, MP which Awards. I really love that site. And uh, yeah, they had a few servitude posters up, and I was curious because I'm like Margaret Kidder. You know, never heard of this film. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. And apparently, there's a reason, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. If, well, we'll let you know if it ever comes stateside. No, it, it, I like the fact that this, like the fact that I was watching this in a theater, like made me feel like just embarrassed. Ah, that's bad. Is this the worst thing you've seen all year? Probably, yes. All right, dang. All right, and that was all you had, right, sir? Yes. All right. The ending on the low note. Um, I watched. I'm just gonna get this out of the way. We watched the room again. Steph had a bunch of friends in town, so I rented the room and made them all watch it. And I made an interesting discovery. Like, the second time when they recycled the same sex scene, um, they're like, oh, come on, do we really have to watch this again? So I fast-forwarded it, and the love scene is, like, horrifyingly worse with the amount of fast-forward buttons you hit, because the faster it goes, it... Yeah, it's it's kind of special. Such a, it's, <laughs> That's yeah. your impression from watching the second time? The, the sex scenes are horrible and fast They get worse. Like, the faster you run through them, the, the so worse trying they get. To, so trying to avoid the, the painful Unless you hit the, the chapter room. skip. Yeah. Okay. yeah, if you just hit fast forward, it's, it's like you put the Benny Hill theme on, and it just gets... Oh, God. So you're saying the movie is painful no matter how yes. how you watch it. All right. I could not stop Upside laughing. down, fast forward, rewind, it's just painful. Yes, yes. Uh, let's see. I'll save that for last. A lot of TV I've been catching up on. I finally caught up on episode seven of South Park, which is the uh, tween wave episode. Yeah. And I, I know it is one joke for the entire episode, but I couldn't stop laughing at that joke. It was just freaking hilarious. Um, yes, Steamy Ravon is a great musician name. That's all I'm going to say. And <laughs> Barry's like, I'm not, no. No, no I, I remember the episode. It wasn't, I don't know, like, you know, you see feces come out of somebody's mouth violently once you know by the, by the fourth or fifth time yeah, you're kind of done well for, for more like the the 10th or 11th time but you know it was, it was a funny i mean no it made a great it made a great point it really did and I, I appreciate what the episode was about but like you know just that one joke i don't know like the first time it happened it was funny but after a while this is just it, the whole the episode really took life for me when the old men were talking about it. when the one when the old one old guy's trying to tell the other old guy about steamy Ravon and this guy who gets up and, and, and craps his pants a lot. And so, like, the old men, like, go see him play live. And they feel so bad for him. They break into his, his house and steal steal his underwear so his britches don't get punished anymore. It's, yeah, it's kind of special. Uh, <laughs> the season of Burn Notice. Um, it's interesting, but it seems like the show's starting to run out of steam. 
Hmm. Uh, he's trying to get into being back in the CIA. His handler got killed, so now he's trying to find. And he got framed, and he covered up the frame up. So he's trying to find out who killed his handler, and still try to get in the CIA. And hmm. it's fun. It's enjoyable. It just seems like it might be getting close to time to let it go. Have you seen the Bruce Campbell spinoff film? I have. Yes, The Fall of, of Sam Max. Yes, pretty good? outstanding. Yes, good. Good. must watch. Okay, because it's Bruce Campbell in a straight role. Like like being the straight man, not being the comic relief or anything. He's just you know it, he's still Bruce Campbell, but it's him as the main character and as the hero. And yeah, it, it's it's definitely worth watching. Great, great. Okay. Um, Torchwood, Miracle Day. It's it's interesting. Um, the last episode I haven't watched this week's episode yet, but um, I'll just say that Captain Jack gets lucky with another guy, and it's wow. It goes further than the UK series ever did. Hmm. Uh, the the thing that's striking me most about this show is that Torchwood, while definitely a more adult sci-fi show, still definitely had a, a, a very distinct sense of humor, and it seems like that sense of humor is completely gone from this. So, it's a pretty good, but it's not amazing. Um, I'll just put it that way. And then I will ask: have either, Did either of you gentlemen see Captain America? No. Oh, I did. No. What did you think of this, Ethan? Chris Evans, what a great body. <laughs> It is a little bit impressive when, when when the super soldier machine thing opens up and you're like, dude got ripped. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was a, a real blast and a ton of fun. Probably the most impressive thing is that there's not a hint of Johnny Storm anywhere in this his performance as Steve Rogers slash Captain America. Uh, he, he plays this film very earnestly with a good sense of humor when he needs it. And the film brought me around on a character I've never really liked that much. I've always seen him kind of like as a goody-two-shoes Boy Scout, kind of like Superman. And this film goes out of its way in the beginning. It, it's, it's another superhero origin movie. But this one seemed to have more heart than a lot of them. A lot of these movies, when they go through it, it's like they're just going through the motions. Okay, let's get him to become a superhero. Okay, now let's go have him fight the bad guy. This one had a lot more heart to it, and I really... I actually connected with it, and I actually like Captain America a heck of a lot more now. Great. So, yeah. Um, wait, wait, Ethan, so he... Other than, <laughs> other than he's got a good body. What, what else did you think of it? Did did it not connect with you? Did do you agree with Dave? What do you think? I enjoyed it. Yep. It was good. Has it? But has it like not stayed with you? I mean, is it just like one of those summer movies to you, or one of the better films, or what do you think? Uh, I I'd say it's one of the better movies this summer. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will check it out. I will see it. Yeah, and uh, shoot, what's his name? Agent Smith. Hugo Weaving. Hugo. Hugo Weaving as Red Skull was pretty fun, too. Yep. He, he just kind of has the mustache twirling maniacal glee going, thing going for him. That's just a blast. So, yep, that's what I've watched. What came out in theaters this weekend, sir? This weekend was John Favreau's much-hyped Cowboys and Aliens with Daniel Craig, Harrison Ford, and the lovely Olivia Wilde. Also in theaters, Crazy Stupid Love from the directors of I Love You, Philip Morris, which uh, Ethan and I are very split on. Crazy Stupid Love, of course, stars Steve Carell, Ryan Gosling, Emma Stone, Julian Moore, Kevin Bacon, Marissa Tomei, and about 50 other people. It's got a big ensemble cast. And then The Smurf, starring Neil Patrick Harris and Katy Perry, as Smurfette. Apparently there is a scene in the film, I'm told, where she looks right at the camera and says, I smurfed a girl and I liked it. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's in in uh, most theaters, if not all theaters. In limited release, you have, of course, uh, the film Dave and I love very much called Attack the Block, which is uh, starting to open around the country. And then The Devil's Double, starring Dominic Cooper as... Oh, who's he playing? Saddam Hussein's younger brother? He's playing the Devil's Double, Barry. <laughs> Sorry, has the devil's double. Critically acclaimed films, which were quite good. Ethan will give us a review of that film probably next week. 
So, okay, do you guys want, what, what do you want to start with? Let's start with Cowboys well, and Aliens. I haven't seen it. I'm going to hear what you guys have to say about it. I guess I'll go first. Um, I had fun with it. It's not going to be the best movie of the year, the summer, or even the month, but it's it was it was a pretty fun movie. The film's filled with cliches, but Daniel Craig and, and Harrison Ford really, I think, play off each other pretty well. Um, there's not a heck of a lot of character development, honestly. Mm. The ensemble cast pretty decent. What I love is um, Paul Dano essentially doing his impression of uh, Bruce Dern and support your local sheriff. Oh, you know the, idi- the 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 big powerful guy's idiotic son. Yeah, that was pretty funny. I was gonna say there was a, a point, you know, where the aliens were attacking and he's doing like the oh oh, and I couldn't help but think, don't bully me, Daniel. And I thought like he was about to get hit on the head with a bullet. Yeah, yeah. This film is chock full of cliches. It's not the best movie by a long shot, but I really don't quite understand the, the, the some of the vitriol that's getting spewed at this thing. It's, mm. okay. it's not. I guess a lot of people. Um, I was reading Master Worm's review of this, and he said a lot of people were expecting like a Carpenter esque take on a sci fi western type thing. Oh, really? I wasn't expecting that. And so I guess if you're going in for that, yeah, you're going to be really disappointed. No, I was expecting a big, expensive, lavish-looking summer movie. I never thought it'd be anything remotely hip. I mean, I thought it was... I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. Who cares what I think? What I thought it would be? It just it's, it seems like this thing is really splitting people over expectations, and the title was something of a problem I don't for, see why. for some people. I don't see... Why would, there's cowboys and there's aliens. Right, but they don't know if it's a comedy. They don't know if it's a sci-fi comedy. They're, they're expecting Wild Wild West or, or who knows what. Oh, this is no Wild Wild West. Thank goodness. There's no. That was good. <laughs> wow. So, so were you not a fan of this, Ethan? Daniel Craig, what a great body. <laughs> and Olivia Wilde. I'm, not, I'm just going to throw it out there. Not as good. Okay. There you go. All right. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing you weren't as big a fan, much of a fan of this. Uh, I, I think the thing about it is that it it has the right look, like all the western stuff. It feels right. It's grimy oh, yeah. feeling. Yeah, like it, like I was, it, I was actually pretty into like the first twenty minutes or so, but once the whole alien element is introduced, the movie just to me became like painfully uninteresting. Hmm. Okay. So on the John Favreau summer epic movie scale of Iron Man being a ten and Iron Man two being a one, where does this fall? To be honest, I think Favreau is an incredibly mediocre filmmaker who just has good collaborators. He's just lucky that he is. Matthew Leboutique is the cinematographer, and he's lucky that he gets good actors. So, hmm, the scale. I'll need to think about that. Okay. It's for, would you put it on par with, like, Sathura? Didn't see it. Okay, fair enough. I think it'd be fair to put it about on that level. Was Zathura really? Gosh, that's a movie. No, that's just someone who I who likes Zathura, though. I forgot that movie five minutes after I watched it. it was For me, it was one of those. Okay. Yeah, it's it's. I'm pro- I, I, as we're getting near the end, I'm like, you know, I don't need to buy this, but I, I didn't regret seeing it in the theater at all. So, and yeah. is this one in 3D or no? No. Okay. No. Okay, that's good. I was joking about we are not seeing this in 3D. Pulled it up. Oh, it's not even being shown. That should be you know another sign for the right direction. But yeah. How are the aliens? Cool. It's, Lame. It's Independence Day. Ah, oh, the whole tentacle thing again? No, but the uh, oh the alien and the alien thing. The alien within an alien. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm sick of that too. <laughs> uh, it, it's not completely like that, but it, it definitely has the feeling of it. You know, it's it, temporary expectations. I think I, I kind of went in with none, which is hard because I've talked to people who just refuse to watch this movie because it's been marketed 
within an inch of its life. Yeah, well, there's like, what is it, Seven uh, Eleven or McDonald's where they've got the little cups? Seven Eleven. Seven Eleven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the cup that you can turn, flip the light on it, like it's like the bracelet that lights up. Yeah. Oh well, I gosh. swear, I saw the trailer for this in front of probably every single movie I've seen in like the last seven months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I expected the trailer for it to play before the actual movie. <laughs> that would have been awesome. The last time I read, I mean, the numbers aren't in yet. We're recording this on a Saturday, but last I heard is that uh, there's a good chance that the Smurfs might overtake it for number one, because because it's been so the re- response has been so mixed, and apparently it's been dropping over the couple days. I I guess yeah yeah. Oh, it looks like it beat it on Friday. Yeah. No. Go Cowboys. Yeah. No no no. I mean the Smurfs. Beat, oh, the Smurfs beat, beat it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Crazy stupid love. What did you gentlemen think? Oh, gosh. Uh, what I didn't like about it was I never believed a moment of the script. I thought it was extremely far-fetched. I thought, especially for the first hour, the, the dialogue felt very, very sitcom-y. Um, and it just it felt contrived to a point where it, it, I understand the screenplay, the screenwriter rather, wanting to surprise us and, and to take us in maybe new directions, not really. But I think... I can forgive all that because I did like the performances so much, uh, starting with Ryan Gosling, who I thought was wonderful. Um, Carell is not really going outside too much of what people expect of him, but I like what he did. Um, Emma Stone is really not in the movie all that much, but she has a scene, a sequence, an extended sequence with Gosling that I thought was really charming the way it was written. Um, the payoff... Uh, yep. Sorry, okay. talking about the form is what the fuck was up with Marissa Tomei in this? Like she, like she was like so broad, and everyone else was like completely normal. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It felt like a performance, like in a very different film. <laughs> it was like something in an Adam Sandler movie with her. Um, I like the payoff of her character because I didn't, I did, I honestly didn't see that coming where they went with that character. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think this is one of her best performances, especially considering you know coming off of my gosh, like bef- you know before the devil knows your dad and the wrestler. Um. I thought that Julian Moore was actually quite good in this. Um, I like her, but I think she tends to be very shrill at times, with mm-hmm. a lot, of, especially with a lot of recent performances, uh, specifically in uh, uh, the one that came out last year. The kids are all right. I, I couldn't stand her performance in that movie. In this film, it's a similar character in the terms of it's a very unsympathetic person, or you know, it can really go back and forth in terms of how you feel about her. Um, but I thought she really underplayed it for the most part, which was good. She has a late night phone call scene with Steve Carell, which I thought was very moving. There's a lot of. I thought there were enough great scenes in this movie to make it a good film. I don't think it's a great movie just because, again, I, I really thought the screenplay was just kind of ridiculous and, and overly showy. But I thought the performances were so good that I, I would recommend the film. And I even liked. Uh, I liked the performance. Um, I can't think of the actress's name, but the actress who played the young babysitter i really enjoyed that that aspect of the film what did you think ethan ryan gosling what a great body (laughs) i'm sensing a theme uh no i pretty much agree with you on the movie i i think it is the problem is just the screenplay to me i liked it a little more than you but i think it's incredibly inconsistent yes like there's times when it's really strong drama the characters like they they have really great dialogue it's smart but then there's times it just it is you're right it's a sitcom like uh all the scene in the backyard for example yes and that's coming after like a scene where you find out something about marissa tomei's character and it's like and even look at like that scene with marissa where you find out that twist marissa tomei that scene's perceived by the scene with uh julianne moore and steve carell where they're they're awesome like they have this really great dialogue it's like a good dramatic scene and go into that and it's like woo. It's like, 
but uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was all right. I wanted to ask you, Ethan, if you've seen the the Sean Connery movie Playing by Heart, which reminded me a lot of this movie. The uh, um, what what was what was that? Do you remember that Playing by Heart came out in '98? It's 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 I don't want to say it's the same movie because that's just that's hy- just movie critic hyperbole, but it's very similar. It's an ensemble film in which at the end of the film you learn how all these characters we've been watching seemingly living separate lives are all connected in some way. Um, it's very, very similar to the big reveals in this one. It's Sean Connery, um, Ellen Burstyn, John Stewart back when he was an actor, Angelina Jolie, uh, Ryan Phillippe, um, I'm forgetting some people, Anthony Edwards. I mean, it's got this incredible ensemble cast, Dennis Quaid's, and it's ve- it's a good movie. It's very good, but it does have this big ending where everybody meets together at a, at a wedding, and you realize, oh, my God, everybody we've just watched is connected in some way. Um, and it, 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 you know, I'm not going to say that Crazy Stupid Love is a ripoff, but it feels very, very much of very much like a, a cousin to that film. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, what's hitting, what's hitting on DVD this weekend, sir? Or this, this Tuesday, not weekend? That's okay. Uh, Rio, in which uh, Jesse Eisenberg has to mate with Anne Hathaway. There you go. And it's a comedy for kids, by the way. It's a CGI film yeah. about birdies, so it's adorable. Um, <laughs> but you need to be of, of certain age to see it. Soul Surfer, uh, one of my favorite small films of the year. I'll put it that way. I like this film a lot, but it's a little film. Uh, also with uh, Dennis Quaid and a uh, great performance by Anna Sophia Robb. Eastbound and Down, season two. You guys watch the show? I've not seen it. I've heard it's hilarious. I'm a pretty I'm a pretty huge fan. Yeah, I've heard it's great. Is season two pretty good? It's maybe even better than the first. Very good, very good. All I've seen is the the case with sad, which makes me want to watch the show. Okay. Okay. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's first big summer movie, Conan the Barbarian, available uh, on Blu-ray, of course, uh, since I, I wonder why. Uh, let's see. The Name of the Rose, based on the bestseller by Umberto Eco. Uh, it's one of these books I've had on my shelf for decades, promising myself I would read, and I can never get past chapter one. This is one of the all-time <laughs> best-selling books of all time. It was made into a movie in 1986. It not only stars Sean Connery, reportedly in a great performance, but Christian uh, Slater in his film debut. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's a very good film, but you know, I've been putting it off for years because I'm like I'm going to read the book by Umberto Eco and I still have not uh, also let's see Conan the Destroyer which I actually like better than the Barbarian Conan the Destroyer uh, all available on Blu-ray starring Grace Jones I love Grace Jones I'm a big Grace Jones <laughs> fan I am I love Grace Jones and she's, she's Grace, Grace Jones Grace Grace and she's great in this movie um, for for it's not it's not much of a role but you know it's Grace Jones uh, what's the Bond movie she was in again she was in A View to a Kill well, her sex scene with Roger Moore, I'm sorry, that is just wrong. <laughs> I like the way she barks at him before. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very strange scene. Well, you know what's even weird about the scene is like, it, like where else can you see Roger Moore, Christopher Walken, and Grace Jones like in the same scene? It's a very weird moment in the movie. One of many in that film, actually. Oh, right. uh, Savage Steve Holland's classic. I love that name. Savage Steve Holland. His movie Better Off Dead with John Cusack, probably the first of the great John Cusack uh, 80s comedies. Spy Kids 1 through 3, the uh, trilogy, now no longer a trilogy because Robert Rodriguez has more money to make, available on Blu-ray. Copycat, John Emile's Copycat. This is with Sigourney Weaver 
and Holly Hunter and Harry, Harry Connick Jr. Jr. plays the killer. This came out the same time as Seven. It's a really underlooked thriller. It's not I bad. I really enjoyed it. In terms of like a, a, a depicting the mindset of an agoraphobic, uh, that would be Sigourney Weaver's character. I thought it was very good. Very underrated performance by Weaver. And I got to say, the score by Christopher Young is one of the scariest scores. This guy like is famous for horror movie scores. It's this six-note piano tune, and it's really creepy. They actually used the score for this movie on the trailer for Hollow Man. Anyway... Good stuff. Uh, Jane Eyre, which came out earlier this year with Michael Fassbinder and also Mia Wasikowska. Uh, it's like you're like in a race when you start her name because Mia you want to get through it quick before you screw it up. Yeah, I'm sorry. This movie, it just did not change my mind about it. But, you know, Michael Fassbinder, surprise, surprise, he's excellent, excellent in this movie. And I would recommend seeing it just because of him. Um, I think I like this movie a little less than Ethan, but I got to admit, you know, that, that guy just, he has not let us down yet. That's it. Talk about a great body. <laughs> It's I just kind of wrong you said that as I'm looking at the, uh, the the preview trailer of Jason Alexander doing the Netflix Relief Fund video. It's like, oh. I love how we we go back from, from screen geeks like TMZ going, but you know what? He sure worked out. Got a great body, that one. <laughs> All right. Moving on to news. Um, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Arrowonthehead.com, one of my favorite websites, announced the cast, the current cast, although this is apparently the official cast of The Expendables 2. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on to your hats. One this, of these is not like the others. Well, let me just point out the obvious. Jet Li is not here for some reason. I don't know what happened, but Jet Li apparently is not in The Expendables 2. Here's who's in Racist. this film. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, John Travolta, Chuck Norris, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mickey Rourke, Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, Terry Crews, Eric Roberts, even though he died in the last film, and Bruce Willis. All in the same Movie! Oh my gosh! Hmm. Yeah. Uh, is uh, uh, who's that guy? No, Isaiah Mustafa. No sale. What's that guy? Isaiah <laughs> Mustafa. Simon West is directing. This is the guy who did Con Air. You guys be happy to hear. The director of Con Air is finding work. Okay, and I think you I was going to say Nicholas Cage would be perfect for this. I think. Yeah, yeah, I kind of would expect him to show up in the last scene as like the new expendable for part three. Yeah, it is kind of strange. Nicholas Cage is not in this, but John Travolta is, and for some reason Eric Roberts is back, maybe in a flashback, or maybe his twin. I don't know. But did yeah. you guys see the the, the, the promo pics from the new Green, uh, Ghost Lander, Ghost Rider movie? Yes, I did. It looks more promising. It couldn't look I, much less. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like it's the Crank guys. Yeah, but there's no Lucky Crack Pipe, and it's PG-13. No, but still, Cage and the Crank guys, that it, it just, it's that, gonna be there's insane. no way. It's going to be insane. Yeah, I like Cage Unleashed. I really, really do. Though I have, um, I did not see Season of the Witch yet. I've heard that's one of those those essential Cage performances. Oof. Oof. Okay. All right, what else you got, sir? What else? Uh, the Twin Peaks Festival is this week in North Bend, Washington. Check it out. This is August 5th through the 7th. Cheryl Lee, a.k.a. Laura Palmer, will be there, as well as Sherilyn Fenn, Lenny Van Dolan, uh, and others. Um, yeah, this is a terrific, terrific event. Uh, please, please, please check it out. If you're anywhere in Washington, go to the Twin Peaks Festival. They're, the movie that they're going to show, of course, is Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me for the first time since the first Twin Peaks Festival. And, of course, Cheryl Lee and much of the cast of that film will be there to do a Q&A afterwards. Cool. It's always a good time. Right on. And that entire series just went on Netflix, Netflix Watch instantly recently. Oh, sweet. I will. So I'll, I'll go I, I will go digging through it. 
Nice. At some point, yes, yes. Well, you're not a fan, and I, and I understand that. I remember I loaned you my box set a couple years back. I remember you're like, eh, not really for me. I mean, do you think? I mean, do you think that would change? Or? I don't know. I it's don't okay. Know. I mean, it's okay if it's, it's you know. It, well, it's, here's the thing: when I'm borrowing someone's bo- when I'm borrowing something from someone, I try to get through it as quickly as possible. Okay. And if it's no that's uh, not freaking this- torchwood, <laughs> ah, there it is. Um, it's not supernatural. Oh, oh dude, <laughs> you haven't even watched the show, Barry. No, I'm not gonna watch Supernatural. Because I'm not 13. Oh, no, I'm kidding. I'm sure, I'm sure it's good. I'll check it out. No, but, I will. But it's, when, I, when it's something on Netflix, it's something I can watch more at my leisure. Sure. Yeah. So, and it's something that, that I'm not going to probably, I'm probably not going to mainline and go through in a week, most likely. Is Supernatural on Netflix? No. Okay. okay. I've got like almost the entire series on Blu-ray. So well, I told you, I told you like back in, I think January, I saw a single episode of it over Christmas break <laughs> and I thought it was so disturbing. I'm like, Dave watches this all the time. This is really creepy. So <laughs> Which I, is I've, great for an hour long TV show on the freaking CW. Yeah. Yeah. No, I gotta say, yeah, it's a little edgier than, uh, than Dawson's Creek. So. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, nah, that was that man. There was like teen pregnancy and, uh, uh, Pacey would hook up with a teacher. That's yeah, some, that's some the that's, that's trailblazing stuff. Yeah, and the pilot, uh, Pacey, played by the legendary Joshua Jackson, has an affair Ooh. with his teacher. So yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That I I shouldn't bash the creek. I really shouldn't. <laughs> I love how we go to the defense of Dawson's Creek. <laughs> I want to do a Dawson's Creek episode. I would be down for that. I seriously uh, would. Give me an excuse to watch Dawson's. Like creek. I've only watched like the first two or three seasons, maybe. And that's Holy here crap! And that's way more than. And me. that's like yes, here like, and there, spotty, like spotty here and there. God, whenever I was with a with a girl who like wanted to watch it, I ended up watching like four or five times. I never watched a season. You watched a season of Dawson's Creek? Wow! I it probably man. between like the first three seasons, I probably watched a full season worth. Man, maybe man, Dawson's I don't, Creek. You know, I'm trying to remember. The only thing I remember is Pacey hooking up with his teacher. So but that was the pilot. That's yeah. the pilot. Oh no, no, it, no! It went beyond the pilot. Oh, it did. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I I just I remember the pilot clearly. I remember did watching. Did you get some, to the uh, gay quarterback? No, <laughs> was it Dawson? Oh wait, I'm thinking Varsity Blues. My bad. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, I I remember watching some episode later. I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, like Dawson's becoming a movie producer. Okay. <laughs> wow, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Shoot, yeah. man. Okay, so what else you got, sir? Clearly, we have to revisit Dawson's Creek. Um, I want to see if it's on there right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot to say about Comic Con, and I really don't want to say a lot because I mean that could just kind of bunny trail to all sorts of stuff. But I, I do want to say that uh, I, I can't be happier that Francis Ford Coppola showed up, got everybody really excited about his crazy new idea for this movie, and whether it works or not. I mean, most of you heard now that his film originally called Twix, now by Sunrise, is now it's just called Twix. It's with Val Kilmer and Al Fanning. Um, apparently, his plan is very Kevin Smith in that he plans to go to 30 different cities this fall with this movie um he's going to be there the composer is going to be there and he's going to edit the movie in various different that's forms right and have like a have a, the composer basically kind of improvise scores for different screenings so it's like every time you see this movie uh, in this format you'll see a different version of it which you know people going like well what about seeing the actual version of it as opposed to you know the, these crazy remix versions of it anyway it's an interesting idea i i'm excited that he's doing it and i'm excited that he got everybody all worked up in hall h over the um, and I, I, I love that everybody was excited about the 3D aspect of it because let's face it, 3D is kind of becoming kind of a headache for everybody. And I love that Francis Ford Coppola can get everybody all worked up at Comic Con. So, I was well, did you hear that, that him and uh, uh, Val Kilmer were rapping? No, I didn't hear to, that. Uh, to a live beat by Dan Beacon. <laughs> no, Dan Beacon. That's they great. Like rapping Nosferatu, apparently. Wow. Okay. And Dawson's Creek is not on Watch Instantly. 
This just in. <laughs> <laughs> to go disc by disc. That's a lot. Is it, is it on Hulu? I don't know. <laughs> does it? Do you have it up? I mean, does the DVD have like commentaries by the cast? Because if it does, I I will listen to that. <laughs> I, I can check DVD talk during the break or something. All right, yeah, we'll 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 get you to the bottom it. of this. Wow. Okay. Do you have anything else, sir? Uh just a couple trailers. Uh, we talked about it beforehand. The Tower Heist trailer, the new film uh, <laughs> from the director of X Men: The Last Stand. This is the first movie he's done since then, actually. Which is it just shows as how soon m- as Brett Ratner's name came up, it suddenly made a heck of a lot more sense. <laughs> well, you know, I gotta say, I don't think. It looks that bad. I don't think it looks like a great movie, but I, I think, think it, looks, it looks that good. <laughs> well, I, I think it looks better than like Rush Hour two and three. And I like that. I mean, Ratner's had this thing planned for years where he wanted to do Beverly Hills Cop four, and he really wanted to do like an R-rated Beverly Hills Cop four. And you know, this Eddie Murphy was doing all these kiddie movies that were flopping, so nobody wanted to do it. It looks like he's trying to to kind of warm the waters for that because Murphy looks like he's in good form in this movie, even if, if the material is a little tired. Um, I don't know. I don't think it looks that bad. I'm just going to uh, say that. I was going to say apparently Noah Baumbach has a writing credit on it. Wow. It, like an official credit or uncredited? Like an uh, official credit. It's weird too because I know he's the sole credited writer on Madagascar 3. So he's really going wild. in some interesting directions. <laughs> You know what the trailer for this reminds me of? I mean, and people don't mention this. It's and you know, again, it's one of these movies that I, I, I'm not crazy about, but but you know, I can't bash. Uh, Ratner did a movie called After the Sunset. Do you remember that? It was a heist movie. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's horrible. I don't think it was that bad, frankly. I mean, it was just kind of forgettable. But it was it was totally serviceable. It was with Pierce Brosnan and Woody Harrelson. It looks kind of like that, I think. But anyway. Uh, other trailer first impressions: uh, The Ides of March, the new George Clooney movie starring Ryan Gosling. I thought it looked respectable. Mm-hmm. I think the trailer oh, gave a little good. too much of the story, but uh, yeah, yeah, looks solid. And then the oh my gosh, like who thought we'd ever see the trailer to this movie in our lifetime? Red Tails. We finally have a trailer to Red Tails. And it doesn't look bad. I don't think it looks bad at all. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of puzzled. I mean, clearly they made this movie so long ago. They made it back when like Terrence Howard was a name. And you apparently know, Cuba Gooding Jr. was still Cuba Gooding Jr., yeah, was still making those daddy daycare sequels. But yeah, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's it's an it's an old film. It's a dusty film. I mean, I think they shot it like two or three years ago, and it's going to be like four years by the time it hits the years. But no, I think it looks perfectly serviceable. It looks better than Flyboys. We'll just put it that way. Hey! But the no, the special effects sequences for whatever they're War Horse looks better than Flyboys. Yeah. Although I'd rather see Flyboys again than War Horse. But, uh, but no, I think Red Tails looks good. It looks good, but, you know, we'll see. Fair we'll enough. see. All right, so that's it for you, sir. That's it. All right, Ethan, you. I'll let you kick off our trailer discussion because I've only got two trailers to talk about as well. Battleship, baby. <laughs> <laughs> this trailer played before Cowboys and Aliens, and I'm like, what is this? And then it starts panning out, and I'm like, this is Battleship? Oh, this just this looks awful. Michael Bay has clearly become an Otair because Peter Berg. Oh, wait, sorry, Otair? 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 Otar? Author? He has clearly become one of those filmmakers because, my gosh, the style of. The, I mean, the, the scene where the guy's in the blanket talking to his girlfriend and she's wearing the, the, the Daisy Duke shorts and her butt is just right in the air. I mean, this it's so Michael Bay, the way this film has been shot and edited and, and how idiotic it is. It looks like Armageddon crossed with Bad Boys, crossed with Transformers 1, 2, 3. It looks like, like an amalgam of Michael Bay. I was like, this is from the guy who brought us the rundown. What is he? What? Why? Yeah. Well, uh, Friday Night Lights. Like, I'm I'm not really a big Peter Berg fan, but I think Friday Night Lights is actually a pretty great movie. And like, this really? Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. No, he's he's very good. I mean, he's been he, he's proven for years that he's a solid actor. And you know, you're right. Friday Night Lights is a fine film. 
Um, but this is this is like again, what's wrong with Hollywood? They spend two hundred million dollars on this movie. And, <laughs> you know, they don't show any of the rest of the cast. I mean, the, the female is Brooklyn Decker. This is the you know the eye candy from the Adam Sandler movie that just came out, and Rihanna's in it too. I was gonna say the shot of Taylor Kitsch getting his hair cut is amazing. Is Chris Brown gonna show up to hit her? Sorry, okay. Uh, no, but seriously, guys, the shot of Chris or uh, Taylor Kitsch getting his hair cut, I watched it like five times. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Taylor Kitsch? He played Gambit from, in Wolverine. Okay, and he's from uh, the TV show Friday Night Lights. I've never watched it, but I've heard he's quite good. In it. Okay, yeah, but like, he's known for his like super long hair, and there's like a shot. It's like it's like a canted angle, and it's like this, this color filter, and he's like there's like a razor going over his head. And I'm like, amazing. <laughs> well, I, I kept wondering, kept trying to figure out like who the lead actor is in this film. Is it is it Kitsch? Is he the star of the film? Or yeah, I think uh, uh, Alexander Skarsgård from True Blood is in it as well. Okay, yeah. For some reason, I thought it was Channing Tatum first, but yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, he looks like I don't know. Like, like he's kind of off the Hollywood assembly line. Like, he looks like so many other that's actors. Because he is Barry. Yeah. All right. Um, oh yeah. But 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 guys, he's got a great body. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. All right. Uh, the two trailers I've got. Should I end on, I'll end on the poor note. Uh, first off is... Well, it depends on how you look at it. This, these, both of these could be like as bad trailers. Um, first off is Lucky McKee's The Woman. Um, this looks pretty messed up. Uh, it looks like a girl who gets beat up or something is, is trying to get through... Oh, no, she's like a wild woman. That's what it was. She's like, you know, Clan of the Cave Bear kind of wild. And this family catches her and essentially ties her up in a garage and does awful things. I don't like the the subgenre title of torture porn um, for for a number of reasons, but uh, I mean, this sounds like that kind of a movie. Oh, it absolutely feels like it. Yeah, and and this is disappointing because I I've heard that that May is an amazing movie. I, I'm a big fan of May and his second film, which I thought was very underrated, The Woods. I thought The Woods was great. Um, so yeah, I'm disappointed to hear that. I don't know. This sounds kind of like more of the same from a guy who's been really innovative with his last two movies. Yeah, it, it didn't do much for me. Um, and then there's the Knights of Badassdom. I, this is like a bunch of guys got the, got like somehow finagled a bunch of stars to be in their home movie. Yeah, it made me laugh. I'm not gonna lie. Like the concept, I actually kind of think the concept could be funny. Sure, it just doesn't look good at all. Yeah, you know, and, and Peter I, Dinklage doing the, the the Jack Black part for the movie. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna say this, and not as a criticism because I haven't seen Your Highness yet, but it looks like Your Highness too. I mean, it it really looks like it's trying to be that kind of genre of film. It could be trying to be in that genre, but I I just looking at the trailers, I can tell that that Your Highness has way better production quality. Well, did you think that the role playing portion of role models could sustain an entire movie? I thought it was a great <laughs> set piece. I didn't think like they needed to make the whole movie based on that five minute sequence with Joe Latruglia, which was hilarious. But as a whole movie, I would honestly probably put this more in the category of like fanboys. That's what it feels more yeah, like. Or like, like Dude, Where's My Car? I mean, it's like, it's a very like, you know, if you're not laughing at the idea of the movie before the movie has even started, then you're not the audience for this film. Yeah. And I did laugh. But still, it just. So I, I love I love Steve Zahn, but you know he's been in he's it's a been LARPer in his, movie. Though. He's been in as many good movies as he's been in really bad films too. Yeah. Good Rescue Dawn, Saving Silverman. Bad. <laughs> Saving Silverman. Well, what was that one? Strange Wilderness that he was in? Strange Wilderness? Yeah, that that's not a classic. Let's let's remember him for that thing you do. Come on. I love him in that thing you do. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Alright, well uh let's go ahead and take a break because this is going nowhere good fast. We'll be right back. 
Sue Ellen Greenblatt is a real person, not an internet celebrity. So we've enlisted Billy Flynn and the vicar to help her tell her story. Geek Radio Daily gives me geeky news about movies, new DVD releases, even comics and gaming. Geek Radio Daily makes me feel special. Ah, yeah. Womanly. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the episodes are just 15 minutes, perfect for my commute, or for just geeking out while I'm at the office. Mm. All in one concise love package. Ooh, the package, baby. Uh-huh. And the best part is that it's a daily cast, so I'm always in the loop. Sometimes I listen to it out of the bath, put on little outfits. Ah! It makes me want to invite all my friends over to show how refreshed I feel. Mm, a slumber party, baby. What? That's not what I said. Get out the chocolate mousse. Duct tape. Oh, get out of here, you freaks. Geek Radio Daily. One 15-minute podcast provides 15% of the USDA-recommended daily allowance of geeky goodness. Subscribe through iTunes or visit geekradiodaily.com. This is Nana Visitor, and this is Screen Geeks Radio. Okay, and we're back, and and to continue the discussion of Dawson's Creek, <laughs> you know, Man. I looked up the reviews on DVD Talk because they are you know a really good resource. Um, so they have uh, several ratings. It goes from collector's series to highly recommended, recommended, rent it and skip it. Seasons three through six are all rent it. So yeah, no, I don't want to wait. Okay, um, so what are we talking about this week, sir? We're talking about film critics that we particularly love, uh, film critics whose opinion we listen to, we listen to and care about, and uh, yeah, film critics that uh, have steered us in the right direction more than once. So it's an episode about Ben Lyons. <laughs> yep, the Bens. He loves he loves women. Yes, but he hates and, and he hates Pixar. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. All right, so <laughs> it reminds- it's kind of an odd topic. Well, you just said something that reminded me of something that uh, Siskel used to say to Ebert all the time. And we'll just start off on that note. Uh, something I always loved that he said. Because there were times where Ebert would be really soft on bad movies that had these gorgeous women in them. Like, you know, Bo Derek and whatever. And I remember many times, more than one episode, Siskel saying, you know what? Write her a letter. Don't give her movie a thumbs up. Just write her a damn letter. You know, <laughs> Buy the calendar. Don't, like, give thumbs up to some bad movie because it's got a good-looking girl in it. Have you ever seen his review of Into the Blue? No. Okay, because he's like he brings up Jessica Alba and her body, and then uh, you know what a great body. But then he's like the rest of it. He's like, oh, well, well, you know, the story is well, well you know, I I, uh, I liked it. Well, uh. <laughs> did he give a thumbs up? He sure did. Man, that's funny. Wow. I guess that's a good place to start because they, the, Siskel and Ebert were the ones to kind of bring criticism to the mainstream. Yeah, make it like a kind of a pop culture thing where thumbs up, thumbs down really kind of dictated whether a film was good and worth seeing. And, and Which, oddly enough, the thing started on PBS of all places. Yep, yep. Yeah, and these were guys like, uh, you know, say whatever you will about some of the things they've said over the years or whatever, but I've always admired back in the day they were two critics who initially gave a, a, either thumbs down or just a negative review altogether of Kubrick's Clockwork Orange. And at the end of the year, they recanted and they said, we were wrong. We, we take it back. This is one of the best films of the year. We just didn't recognize it initially. It took us, we needed some time. Um, you don't hear that very often. No, no. It's, it's pretty much, you know, especially in the age of internet criticism, a lot of it is it's the best movie ever. This movie is test sucksers. I mean, there's not much middle ground anymore. Yeah. Well, I'll bring that up really quick. I brought this with me. I have an article from Variety magazine uh, from ten uh, about ten years ago. Uh, this is from the summer of two thousand, 
And uh, the article is called Burbmeisters, and uh, it's basically this critic, uh, this journalist rather, who was just kind of disgusted at all like the critic hyperbole that was going on this summer. So, um, yeah, like he points out here, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, like, um, let's see, this guy, uh, yeah, in January 23rd, this one critic, uh, Bill, I'll just say it's from the Westward One, he said, The Big Tease, the year's most original and charming film. This is in <laughs> January. Um, another example, like, <laughs> see, see, I'd use that as a joke. Well, well, here's one that's really crazy, and I've seen this one before. Uh, for The Perfect Storm, there was this one guy from Launch Magazine who said, The Perfect Film, not only one of the best films in recent history, but one of the finest films ever made. The Perfect Storm with George Clooney. Well, he's right. Uh, let's see, the movie guys with Jeff and Dave. Uh, this one guy said, "The Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas is oh. the most fun you'll have this eon." Oh. And then let's not even start with Larry King. Like, like, like the example they give in this article is, "You will not soon forget hanging up." Like Larry King, like so many crappy movies. I. It's funny. I read an article about that recently. Apparently, they take a lot of his quotes out of context. <laughs> Because like apparently they said for he said for like his quote for Pirates of the Caribbean two is the only summer movie worth seeing over and over again. Apparently he said that because he didn't make he didn't think it made any sense, so you need to see it over and over again to follow it. Nice. Well, he said what was it uh, the remake of um, All the King's Men with Sean Penn and Kate Winslet and Anthony Hopkins had an amazing cast. It was a really poor film. Um, he was the one guy who said it was superior, the best film of the year and. Yeah, it's kind of astonishing. Um, let's see. Other examples from this article. Uh, some guy from ABC TV Rochester said that Big Mama's House was spleen-burstingly funny. Um, this critic quotes Harry Knowles. It says, prepare to get your butt kicked hard. He's talking about the way of the gun. Um, I remember that. Yeah. So I've been reading it at Google for at least 10 years. The, some guy yeah. from the Daily Radar, I'm not sure where that is, said, Blair Witch 2, best sequel ever, exclamation point. Uh, let's see. Yeah, like, and, and and I just wanted to bring that up just because, like, you know, movie critic hyperbole. I mean, it's one thing to say that, and I'm guilty of that too. I mean, all summer people have been asking me, like, well, quick answer, like, well, what do you think of the Tree of Life? And I've just been doing my hyperbole. You know, it's I think it's a gigantic masterpiece. That's been my like, you know, my, my yes, but it's honest. My quick I mean, answer. Here, here, I guess I'll ask this to you guys real quick before we really get into this. Is has the age of hyperbole really caused you guys to be very hesitant with your praise? Uh, I'm. Uh, I'd say so, but I'm definitely guilty of. Hyperbole. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, like I, I, when well, I said well, Robin Hood is like the best movie ever made, I like which it is. Like, geez, I mean, it's like the second best. <laughs> after hereafter, um, no, after Saving Silverman. Oh, there you go, <laughs> Saving Silverman. Um, I well, I mean, because with all that happening, I, I try to be very careful with what I try to praise on that level. Even though I love, you know, Attack of the Block, I think it's worthy of all that praise and everything, but it's, you know, I was worried people were going to be like, oh, you're just shilling. Well, it's funny. I mean, I early. saw Attack of the Block a few weeks ago, and I, I really liked it, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do think it is overhyped, but and I don't yeah. want to like, blame you guys or anything, but <laughs> Thank it's you. our fault single-handedly. No, but I, I agree. When movies become overhyped, I mean, you know, like, even like The Tree of Life, it was nice to talk about the film in May. Now it's like, it's... You know, it feels like it's been talked to death. Um, and it's nice that you still have, like, little films that we could still either build up or just say, like, you know. Um, I, I think it's the job of a movie critic to steer audiences in the right direction. I think that's the best thing that a film I, critic can do. I think I disagree. I, I think I think the most important thing a film critic can do is be honest. Because I have friends... I, 
going to go. I, I have I have friends I have coworkers who uh, a coworker who recently lost lost his wife, but she always used to say if it's a little independent film and I adore it, she is going to stay the hell away. And you know I actually take it as a compliment because I'm consistent with what I think about it instead of trying to say well you know this is what I think audiences are going to like. I think if we set up our track record of who of who we are, what kind of films we like, what kind of films we don't like, we're going to set an expectation with our audience of okay, he likes this kind of movie and I tend to hate it. And even if you know they disagree with us, we're still performing a service. But don't you think we change so much that that our opinions of films and and whatnot absolutely. just kind of grows over time? Absolutely, it absolutely does. And that's why I said we have to be honest more than anything else. You know, it's well. Uh, here's oh, sorry. Here's my take on criticism in general. I think the most important thing for a critic to be is to be an engaging writer. Like someone who, it doesn't matter, like it doesn't matter what movie they're writing about, it should just be a good read. It should be on the same level as just, you know, picking up a favorite book. Okay. I think that's terrific. Thank you. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, that's one of the reasons that Roger Ebert's one of my favorite reviewers because it, it, many times the view of the film will be bad or I'll disagree with him or whatever, but the review itself will be so engaging. I, mean, I always mention the review he did for um, Angus. He did a film called a Review of Film I remember Angus. Angus. Yeah, Angus. Yeah, That's I a mean, good move. That's a good movie. Well, like Dawson. he, uh, I mean, he basically starts off saying, you know, not only did I like this film, but like finally after going to the movies for decades and decades, I finally saw myself. I finally saw <laughs> my, I oh, saw. Oh man, I'm is thinking like, of Ebert in an entirely new way now. <laughs> well, like he said, like this is my childhood. I can relate to this. I was the fat kid who got the, you know, who got the pretty girl and, you know, was kind of an outsider, but someone, you know, loved me for me and whatever. And, you know, he said like, you know, not to be overly earnest and, you know, this isn't the greatest film ever made, but I love Angus because it spoke to so much who I am, and and I thought that, that's fantastic. And I saw the film, and I didn't see the masterpiece or or even like the guilty pleasure that he saw. But oh, I, I love that. Movie. I love his review. I really do. Well, I mean, I want to bring up uh, one of my favorite critics, and I think this is one of the biggies. And this is someone who I've I've disagreed with so many of her opinions, but I keep coming back because I love her writing. Uh, Pauline Kael. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you look at the movies she's panned, it's, like, ridiculous. But, like, just, she always, she brings up such interesting ways. She has such a distinct opinion. She's, like, she, she like, she's so unlike any other critic I found yeah. that I just, I go back. And I, I love the fact that she's one of the few critics who I think genuinely had, like, she did like have an effect. Like, like uh, filmmakers would be like afraid of her. People in the press would like fire her because she'd pan all these like big movies. I love that the fact that there was a critic who had that much like kind of power in a way. Yeah, no question. I mean, she's one of the. I mean probably one of the prototypically legendary, legendary film critics and one of the most influential and one of the most, even today, like other critics talk about her all the time. Um, you know, and, and you know, something I, I think you'll appreciate, Ethan, I mean, you know this too. I mean, she was one of the few people to really get behind Brian De Palma before it was a cool thing to do. Yeah, like her review of uh, B- Blowout is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I've read that. I read it out of the, the DVD liner and... Um, yeah, I mean, she really got behind him and understood him and supported him, you know, at the same time, you know, saying that Star Wars was trash, and, you know, some of the movies she bashed. And, you know, and then that's and that's fine. I mean, I don't mind it when a critic is, uh, you know, contrary to my opinion or other opinions. But no, I, I completely agree with you, Ethan. It does, it is about good journalism and it's about, you know, uh, being succinct and, and, you know, being uh, very well, well versed with uh, being a very good wordsman with, uh, 
with with being a film critic and she was fantastic at that all righty someone else share a critic you like gene shallot no i, I no, i'm kidding no well people yeah, like gene shallot i don't like gene shallot but i <laughs> great great mustache incredible nest of hair um, no, Mike Clark is probably one of the first ones for me. Mike Clark, as well as Roger Ebert. Mike Clark uh, wrote for USA Today for for many, many decades, and I think he retired just recently. But uh, um, I started reading the life section of USA Today in 1985. Every Friday, I would I would I would read, and I think I was I don't know six, seven years old. But that that was the one uh, that was one of the big ones for me. I'd always read his reviews every single week, and a lot of them I would clip and save. And same thing with with Ebert. I never missed an episode of Siskel and Ebert back in like from '86 on. And and oh, these are the guys that just kind of kind of taught me that things that you know that are popular are not necessarily good, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the big ones for me is Leonard Maltin. Honestly, uh, one thing I've always appreciated about him is that, like any good critic, he's not afraid to say what he likes. Like yeah. it's, it could be a trashy movie, and he's like, you know, look, this isn't a good movie, but I really liked it, and here's why. And the fact that he's a huge Disney nerd doesn't hurt at all. He's a smart guy. Um, I he has a lot of passion. I tend to get his movie book every couple of years to get an updated version. In fact, I'm waiting for the new one to come out. Um, Malton is one of these guys. There's some things I've never been able to forgive him about. Uh, his one and a half star review for Memento, for example, as well as his one and a half star review for American Psycho and a few others. And um, yeah, there's, there's some movies that is kind of amazing, like that he's just completely dismissed. I know he didn't like Taxi Driver. Um, and I know with his book, it's always kind of bothered me a little bit that he writes it. It's it's not just him. He has like a, a team of people. It's like that, a staff. Yeah. yeah, it's like a collaborative effort, which is fine. I mean, that's what makes it such a definitive, definitive book. But sometimes like you can – apparently people have called him on it a few times and, you know, he just shrugs it off. You know, it's a collaborative effort. But, you know, you have your name on the book. You expect – But at least he's not passing it off as his own work either. Well – Maybe not, <laughs> but uh, yeah, there have been a few times he's been asked about certain reviews, and he's like, oh, I never saw that film, and, and someone was like, well, well, what's in your book? I just like in The Simpsons, you know that episode where they have the uh, film festival in Springfield, and yeah. uh, they're trying to get a critic, and Marge is like, you know there are a hundred film critics on TV, and Leonard Malton is the best looking one, and Lisa <laughs> does like the, ugh. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, it's it's his perspective on film history, especially on the Disney treasure stuff, because he tends to introduce every single one of the... Well, he no, he did an introductory piece on every single one of the Disney treasures. And it's it's the knowledge of film history, which, granted, you know, he had time to research it and everything, but it's just his his passion always really connected with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, I like, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of our Denver critics. Uh, I miss Reggie McDaniel. I miss his philosophy to film. I rarely agreed with his film reviews because um, he went very much with the knee-jerk reaction. If the movie made him laugh, it was a great comedy. If it was had good scares, it was a good horror movie. If, you know, if it was action-packed, it was a good action movie. But bottom line, uh, I mean, he really did kind of review films down to the basics and he never talked down to his his readers and his listeners um, which I always respected I like Lisa Kennedy who's in there right now Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of her reviews are contrary to popular opinion I remember she bashed um, uh, not Borat Bruno she hated Bruno and I loved her review I thought it was actually a very level headed review where everybody else was kind of saying oh you know it's this great you know raw comedy and I thought she she really came up with, with some really strong and, and, and interesting reasons why she was offended by the film um, and I've, I've just really liked her a lot in general um, you know our friend to the site but also just a really smart guy in general which is Christian Toto yeah uh, I think a really engaging writer um, and then of course one of my favorites um, I've been reading his reviews for years I've clipped him his review 
Reeves from college, and I get to see him every once in a while when we go to film uh, screenings, which is Robert Dennerstein. I really, really appreciate his reviews. They're still up at uh, Dennerstein Unleashed. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of variety with my film critics. I don't, I mean, I'm kind of like Ethan. I don't like critics where they write like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of either hyperbole or just over explaining the plot or giving away the plot. I mean, I, I think you can be succinct and be personal and be personable and, you know, and but make your point and then move on and not, you know, mm-hmm. ramble, 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 which I know a lot of a lot of online critics do. They sometimes write film reviews in the form of a blog, which I think is a real mistake. Um and yeah, you know, and and uh, it's a tough line to walk because you know a, a lot of film critics like myself. I mean, I'll put myself in there for sure. Is you know we're we're not journalism majors, and it's hard to walk, to balance the line between giving your personal reasons why you like a film and making it film criticism. Yeah, and I, but I think it's possible to do. I think we're all. I mean, I know I'm definitely been guilty of it in the past, but. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, there's a saying that, you know, everybody's a critic. No, it's not true. Not everybody's a critic. I mean, you know, some people are very good at expressing themselves, and a lot of people are not. I mean, that's why so many, you know, people, like, you know, are just... They think they're film critics just because they could write about a movie, but but no, it's it's you know it's like being a sports journalist. I mean, you know, the best sports journalists can make you feel like you're watching the game as you're reading it because it's such an exciting and engaging thing to read. Or you know, Bill Simmons talking about Fast Five. Well, oh, like, well, like any good journalist, like even talking about war or like something that's going on. I mean, if they can somehow pull you in and you know and 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 really make you read from beginning to end this article on something that maybe you weren't even interested in, that's that's great journalism. And I think great film critics will like that because some movies, as you know, are very hard to write about because. You know, some movies are just utterly forgettable and disposable, and, and you're just kind of kind of reaching to, to you know, to, to write a whole article on. Uh, one I wanted to bring up, and it's funny because uh, is Jonathan Rosenbaum, who used to be of the Chicago Reader. He's uh, published a lot of books, and uh, what's interesting about him is that he writes a lot about politics in movies and like uh, the depiction of race in movies and whatnot. And he he has a pretty uh, distinct opinion, and he can be a little. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, stubborn in a way. Like he clearly likes what he likes. But it's also interesting because I brought up Pauline Kael and he he hates Pauline Kael. Like he despises her because uh, Pauline Kael wrote this famous article where she trashed Hiroshima Mon Amour, Last Year at Marion Bad, La Notte, La Dolce Vita. She was criticizing art film, the general, saying that it's just a lot of people liking this because they think it'll make them look smart. And uh, he wrote, like, saying she's a Philistine and all this stuff. And I'd side a little more with him because I love all those films. And I think some a bit, a bit of our argument was kind of ignorant. But, yeah, I really like him. And even, like, he, it's interesting some of the opinions have. Like, he hates Woody Allen and he always writes all these articles how he thinks Albert Brooks does what Woody Allen does a million times better. And uh, I just like the fact that he's, like, he's, like, kind of a genuine snob. Like, sometimes I like a snob. It, when when you don't make any bones about it, and you're just you know what this is what I think about this, I, you know, sucker punch sucked. I've I've had people call me a snob on Facebook because of that, and I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, sometimes I mean, just just coming up with an alternate opinion. I mean, you know, and Ethan and I, you know, we always go back and forth about Inception, not in terms of changing our opinion, but like you know, I'll defend that film to my grave, and Ethan will do the opposite, and rightfully so. There are things about that film that. You know, bottom line, I love the film, but uh, but there are a lot of it, it had. It's a problematic film. It's not a perfect film. Like there is a perfect film, but an alternate viewpoint can really open your eyes open to stuff because, I mean, you know, it, it could feel lonely when you're the one person who didn't like Slumdog Millionaire, or the, or when you're the one person who didn't like The English Patient. But to sometimes or the either, Dark Knight even, or yeah, and to to find critics that can actually you know kind of go through the cracks. And it's not that critics necessarily all you know have like the same mindset. 
you know, and I think because of the internet world and because of these different critics with the different opinions and Rotten Tomatoes, I think it is something of a source of pride to kind of go against the flock or can be. Like um, Armand White. Well, like oh, I mean, White. I brought up uh, Rosenbaum and it's funny because when uh, Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man came out, mm-hmm. he wrote a huge review of it where he basically, he said that the fact that critics are not getting behind this movie and getting behind all these Hollywood movies is like em- embarrassing and he would like name all these names and I'm like, hell yeah, do it, man. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, I I think you know another critic should. I, I mean, I understand that situation. I mean, I don't, I, it's it's kind of like the whole dark night dark night thing. I mean, I I, thought, I was very much against the notion of like, well, it's like, you know, this critic didn't like the film. Let's just send him a ton of hate mail and a ton of hate emails. I mean, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with Armin White thinking that whether he really did believe Toy Story two was garbage or not. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I like. I honestly will defend Armin White, and I think the thing is all these like bloggers who criticize him don't know anywhere near as much as he does about film or have anywhere near the writing ability that he right. does right no because you're right he is a very engaging film critic and there's a few times where he stood up for a few films not all of them but uh, a few films that Tyler Perry did that don't involve Medea that are actually very good movies and I completely agree with him um, and he's very much going against the trend there because not only do not have a lot a lot of mainstream film critics will not see a Tyler Perry movie and they will not review a Tyler Perry movie it's like it's not even worth their time just like a lot of uh, great film critics now who really did see a lot of uh, horror films in the 80s and 90s as being very valuable great movies before Scream um, and they'll actually review the films and talk about the films. Um, it's rare that you, you know, eventually all the stuff that we call trash eventually, you know, gets gets elevated to another level. And, you know, either it's trash that will always be trash or trash that we realize now is actually really good. And I think the best film critics can be honest and say, like, you know, Jonah Hex was was garbage, but, you know, there, it could be, you know, it could be a cult film or Jonah Hex is garbage because, yeah, I mean, like you're saying, film critics who are learned and really – you know, they who know their stuff. They they're clearly not just seeing one movie, but they're reviewing a number of films to compare it to one. Well, I mean, it's a, a bring Armand. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous that he called uh, Grown Ups a humanist work of art and compared it to Jean Renoir and Mike Lee. But it's his right to do so. And you know what? You know what I love about that? He's challenging us to see something that no one else sees. And you know, either you can you know be insane or or rather really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know, just really imaginative and try to see what it is that he's seeing, or you could just totally write him off. But I mean, I mean, you got to admit that that's a that's a fascinating opinion. It's fascinating because no one else would have thought of that. Okay, so we've been doing a lot of bashing of online critics, which we kind of are, by the way. Um, I don't think but, we've been bashing them. Well, well, there's been a lot of criticism. I'll say we, we should we should definitely bring up some. Well, you of mentioned Master Worm. I mean, I like almost all the. Yeah, cool Robert Cargill was good. Um, you know, I miss uh, uh, Drew McQueenie, you know, Moriarty. Um, who who are some of your the ones that you like more, Ethan? Uh, I really like uh, Mr. Beaks from Ain't It Cool News. I think mm-hmm. he's probably the best online critic. Uh, he's it's because it's interesting because you know he writes Ain't It Cool News, but he's always like referencing like he's like he'll reference like La Ventura in a review on Ain't It Cool News or something, and I'm always like, yeah, that's awesome that he's writing for a geek audience, but he's like not afraid to like show his knowledge. Very true. 
a film critic should show that they're that they're smart. You know, it's just it's, do they have well, some concept of film history? Well, yeah, because I mean that is the superpower that a good film critic has. That's just the way it is. I mean, if it's just somebody who really isn't steeped in film history or is just talking about how a movie is awesome and thrilling and just kind of leaving it at that, I mean, it it's like okay, I could have gotten this from someone just walking out of the movie who's 13 years old. I mean, you really do want somebody. It's like you know, you want the best sportscaster to be the guy who played in a Super Bowl once. You know, you you want that. Although I, you can't go wrong with Dan Patrick and uh, Oberman back in the day. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, you, you want you know you you want somebody who knows what the heck they're talking about. I mean, well, you know, go ahead. I, sorry, I want to. I, I brought it before that I've been doing the movie review show on yeah. my uh, university's television station, which and is I've, on our Facebook I, page, I, which is at, located at facebook.com/screengeeks. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I've kind of gotten arguments with people who manage the show, and I'm good friends with them, and it, it, it never gets too serious. But about how they, it's almost like they think I'm too, not to, you know, put myself up on a pedestal here, but now they think I'm almost a little too intellectual at times. Like they've made it a running joke how I once used the word banal. They're like, it's a good snob. word. <laughs> All right, I once referenced a "Don't Look Now" in a review. We did. It's like, whoa, a little too obscure there, Ethan. Did you I tell them like, how much you love Superman three as a as a retort? <laughs> That's probably another too obscure uh, classic. <laughs> it's too obscure. It's not Brandon Ralph. We don't know what that is. Yeah. But I think you do have to have some some knowledge of film history. You have to. You have to. I mean, you a should. film critic is never going to be done learning. Let's just throw that out there right now. Yeah. No, and that's, that's the nice thing. I mean, that's why, you know, it's like you discover these films, rediscover them. I mean, that's something that Ebert does uh, where he goes back and, and, like, does this series called The Grey Movies. Um, you would be happy about this, Ethan. Not so much you, Dave. Uh Ebert recently reviewed uh, AI again, and he realizes now that the ending works. <laughs> and he talks about why it works. And it's a great no. review. It's a great review. No. Um, he initially gave, he originally <laughs> gave the film, I think, three and a half stars, and now he's, it's a four-star film to him. It's on the list, and he talks about, you know, how, where he was when he saw the film in 2001 and where he is now. And, and yeah, it's a, it's a charming review, whether you agree with it or not. It's good stuff. Uh, next, I wanted to bring up some of the criticism I was introduced to in my first year of university. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Saris was one of them, the guy he brought the auteur theory to America, basically. And uh, it's funny because, well, him and Pauline Kael had a rival- rivalry when uh, she said that the auteur theory is ridiculous. And uh, he, like, panned a lot of De Palma films kind of to be contrarian to her. But I've been reading a lot of his writing recently, and it's really excellent, especially his... Uh, his review of Psycho was brought up when we watched it in class, where he said that Hitchcock was the most avant-garde filmmaker working in Hollywood. So I really, I really appreciate his work. Uh, also, some of the Cahiers du Cinema stuff. Obviously, the the French film magazine had people like Godard and Truffaut writing for it in the fifties, and uh, we read Truffaut's article where he criticized French cinema and the tendencies in it, and he uh, went on to make the Four Hundred Blows kind of as a you know, to further kind of as the thesis of his article. So that was cool. And uh, the value of the dolls, but sorry. And uh, one other thing, this wasn't a, uh, a film critic specifically, but Susan Sontag, an article we was introduced to her called uh, against interpretation, where she says that um, interpretation is the revenge of the intellect on art. And that basically you have to you have to appreciate something a bit more for its form than its meaning, 
because uh, it's funny because we our teacher, our film aesthetics teacher, was he told me the most important thing I've ever heard about writing film criticism is that your criticism should not be things that you could just write based off having read the script. You should be able to talk about the basically the cinematic choices of a film. And again, that is the most important thing I've ever heard about film criticism, in my opinion. That's good. No, that's that's great. Have you ever read uh, Bogdanovich's take on Hitchcock? No, I haven't. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's like um, you know, and he also has written books about Orson Welles and whatnot, and uh, you know, very early, early um, scholarly takes on Hitchcock and and Welles. And it's just interesting to hear you know a future filmmaker. This is before he was as prominent, well, <laughs> prominent as he is now. He's not prominent at all now. Um, but it's before. I mean, before he had like this reputation as like one of the most important directors of the '70s, and and you read some of his stuff. And it's it's uh, on one hand, it's it's kind of like kind of teetering the line between fanboy and real film scholar but it's good it's good stuff it's interesting well have you ever read any of paul schrader's criticism paul schrader no it's funny well i i'd always been curious about it but uh the film aesthetics teacher said he'd read his book on uh it was he wrote a book called transcendence on cinema and it was about uh dreyer ozu and bresson he honestly said it was one of the worst books he's ever read really so i'm kind of like uh I recently read a book on Eyes Wide Shut, and it was written by this French film scholar. And I love the book because it made me see a lot of things in the film I didn't see before, visually and you know, and, and psychologically. However, there was a part of the book I will never forgive. Uh, this book was written a couple of years ago, so it's you know, it's now you know now that it's very in fashion to love the film and not bash it like it was in '99. But this this critic said that he feels that uh, not only is it the best acted of all of Kubrick's films, but one of the best acted films in all of film history because Kubrick was directing his actors in such a specific way. Even the extras were directed in such a specific way. So therefore, this is a magnificently acted movie because everyone was acting according to the maestro. And um, and, and as someone who loves the film as much as I do, even I can't go that far. <laughs> Wow! But uh, yeah, he's giving a director credit, and then there's really yeah. That was that was that's like that the perfect storm. I don't know, Barry. Alan Cumming was pretty good. I love that film. I love everything about the film. But uh, yeah, I can't go quite that far. I don't even know. I don't think it's Kubrick's best acted film. I think I'd probably give that to Lolita. You think? Uh, Clockwork Orange, maybe. Yeah, that's a good choice too. Yeah. Anyway. But it's important that you know what Lolita and Clockwork Orange are if you're going to get in film criticism. Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. I think. I think. Are we good? Uh, there's actually a few more I'd like to okay. mention. Uh, my probably my two f- favorite current ones are uh, Manola Dargis of the New York Times. I find like she can be a bit of. She agrees often a lot with the general consensus, but. Again, she's such a thorough writer that it's always a, a pleasure to read her, as well as her uh, colleague A.O. Scott, who I think is a magnificent writer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Scott's great. And uh, currently uh, the co-host of Eva Presents, Ignati Vishnevetsky, I think is one of the best working film critics. And I love the fact that you have a genuine, like, highbrow snob on a show like that. Because even, like, you know, Siskel and Ebert, they're great, but it's like they're kind of, they're still kind of middle brow in a way but having someone of Ignati's taste I think is truly exciting and it's interesting watching him some because I've read his stuff he's such a thorough writer how he kind of I wouldn't say he uh, yeah maybe he simplifies his opinions in a way so it's easy to say on television I think it's very interesting yeah no that's really cool because you know I think the problem with the bends that I had was just that 
it's not so much that they relied on hyperbole so much. It's just they seemed like they knew the newspaper quote was coming. So you could like almost hear them like like saying, a great movie, comma, for the whole family, exclamation point. And they would say it in a way that they knew that the quote was going to be slapped onto that newspaper ad like when a few, within a few days. Um, but yeah, like the best film critics, it just it seems like it just kind of comes from their genuine enthusiasm or lack of enthusiasm. It's not this this calculated bid. Yeah, uh, and um, even like I guess in that show, like honestly, I was never a fan of Richard Roper. I have to say that. Hmm. For me, he kind of lost some of my enthusiasm when he gave the Watcher thumbs up. The <laughs> the Keanu Reeves, the Keanu Reeves serial killer. Yeah, I mean, like it's on the box too. They call it a superior thriller and a great cat and mouse movie. And and I saw that film in the theater, and I don't agree with him. Uh, and then he said chicken. He hated Chicken Run so much he wanted to chop off the chicken's heads while he's watching Chicken Run. And I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if it's so much his negative opinion of the movie as much as just I thought that was such an idiotic comment to make on television. Um, I find he's just kind of seems like a bro, you know. Like he just seems like he gives very surface level comments. So just be like the performances are great, and he won't really have much else to say. I'm yeah. I just I'm not a fan of his. Yeah, and he would write off anything remotely challenging that wasn't like acceptable like i remember the way he wrote off coppola's youth without youth and the way he mm. wrote and the way he wrote I, off even even southland tales i just thought like well his crazy. review of dance in the dark is embarrassing i've never seen that he's just like all these guys in the movie are like totally into her that doesn't make any sense oh come on <laughs> that's so stupid fair enough yeah well and that's the thing I mean, you know it, it's Something like that. I mean, it's just, I mean, that's so clearly the wrong way to even be looking at a film like that. But no, I mean, that's why, you know, I like a variety of different film critics. I think, you know, if, as much as I love Roger Ebert, Ebert's still my absolute favorite. I go to his website all the time, I read his articles and, and everything that he puts out. Uh, big fan of that guy. Um, but uh, no, I completely disagree with him sometimes. I mean, I remember, I remember summer of 04, he gave, what was it? He gave Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow four stars, um, which I thought I like. Was, I, like Sky, I like Sky Captain. I'm not a fan I do of that too, movie. but I don't know that I like it that much. No, no, but yeah, he gave it four stars, and he gave Napoleon Dynamite one star. Um, which I'm even, okay with that. Even with someone who wasn't crazy about the film, and then he gave The Village one star too, which I thought was also too hard for that. Very film. fair. So, well, <laughs> you guys are more like Ebert than you know. Then, uh, sorry, one just one last one I wanted to bring up was uh, Jay Hoberman of The Village Voice. Yeah. He's actually yeah, he has written stuff with Rosenbaum too. They wrote a book on midnight movies, and I like the fact that he, yeah, like him, he's he's really good at like historical articles. He'll like write stuff about uh, like any time period and how it reflects this, and he's really great. And uh, I, I love that he's a huge snob too. Like I'd look at some of his top ten lists, and he have like a he'd have like a video, like a art installation as like his number one film of the year. <laughs> Or I remember he, he in his top ten last year. His number ten was the last forty minutes of Inception. <laughs> nice, I like that. Nice. Um, that book, you Joe mentioned, Bob Briggs. Yeah, love, love Joe Bob. Out there too. Love everything Joe Bob writes. Um, what was I gonna say? Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. That's there. okay. I don't remember what I was saying. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah no, yeah, uh, yeah. Hoberman. He wrote a book on midnight movies. That was a that was a textbook for last semester um, for my class. Uh, Cult Underground Cinema. It's a great book. If you guys uh, come across that new book that just came out on They Live, 
No. There's a scholarly no. film book that just came out. You were telling me about live. this earlier. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, there's a chapter where the guy does a scene-by-scene comparison of the overhead shot and they live where Meg Foster smashes Roddy Piper on the head and pushes him out the window and he compares it to the shot, the murder scene in Psycho where Martin Balsam walks up the stairs and the camera's looking down and Mother gets him, um, which I thought was kind of a brilliant comparison. And the book is full of surprising, surprisingly really astute and clever uh, clever nods to film criticism and, and film in general. And he makes a very good case that they live is better than a mere B movie. Right on. Good book. Okay. We're, we're like an hour, coming up on an hour and a half. So I think we should call this one. Okay. That's good. And, and, and I'm curious, who, who are your guys' favorite critics? Shoot us an email. Let us know. What's coming out this week in theater, sir? Rise of the Planet of the Apes, starring James Franco and John Lithgow. Which is why I have the box set sitting on the table. to get. I'm going to try to get through the entire series before... I go see it this next weekend. Oh wow! Oh, God. It's, only five, it's only five movies. It's like one movie a night. Yeah, that's true. Hope you don't get sick of those monkey movies, then. We'll find out. And it then, looks like an entire movie of apes turning doorknobs <laughs> and beating the crap out of Draco Malfoy. Kind of like Secret of the Nim, Secret of Nim with apes instead. I thought you were going to say Project Nim. I was like, nah, I can't, I can't talk about that. Never mind. Nope, okay. Sorry, sorry. No, I was going to make a Project Nim. The Change Up, starring Ryan Reynolds and Jason Bateman and Leslie Mann, is also in theaters. That's it for that week. Wow. All right. So, 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 so I love me some body swap comedies. 17 again. I've seen it and I can't talk about it. <laughs> All right, then. Yeah. What's hitting on DVD next week, then? Uh, James Gunn's film, Super. Uh, Paul with, uh, with those guys. Mars Needs Moms, which I saw. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Your Highness, which Ethan saw and liked, so I, I, I promise I will give that a shot. The Fox and the Hound, parts one and two. I haven't even seen the first one, even though... You Kurt, haven't seen the original Fox and the Hound? No, no. Kurt Russell does a voice in it. I've always wanted to see it. Uh, one of my favorite comedies of the 80s, because, man, it is edgy and it has bite, and that's uh, Amy Heckerling's Fast Times at Ridgemont High with a very young and wonderful Sean Penn, available on Blu-ray. Also on Blu-ray, though, I swear this is this has to be a double double dip. Uh, Days and Confused. I swear this thing's been out for a while on yeah. Blu-ray. Days and Confused, still great film. Richard Linkletter, can't beat that. Uh, Mask, the complete series. This is the 80s animated series that, as Dave perfectly mentioned before, it's like a mashup of, of G.I. Joe and Transformers. That's basically... Only not as, I've read reviews of this, and he's like, this is from a guy who was a huge fan of Mask growing up. He's like, it's nowhere near as good as I remember. Mm. Like, when you when you keep hoping for the new random characters because they're better acted, written, and... Yeah, in every way than the regular characters, you know you're in trouble. That's a shame. Yeah, it's got a great theme song though. Definitely check it out for the theme song, which is pretty catchy. It's up there with Galaxy High School as being like one of the best like animated Saturday morning cartoon theme songs. And then the episode would start, and you'd be like, "Ugh." Jumping the Broom, one of the two wedding films that came out in the same day, and it was like neck and neck at <laughs> the box office for like weeks. It was so weird watching Jumping the Broom and something, uh, something wild, something borrowed, something borrowed. Thank you. Watching those two movies like duke it out for weeks at the box office. I think they made the exact same final gross too. <laughs> and then also available on Criterion, Battle of Algiers, now available on Blu-ray. And that's it. Cool. All right. Um, is there anything else we really need to talk about? I don't think so. I think we're good. Yeah. So um, next week we'll be having Ethan's exhaustive rundown of Fantasia, I'm sure. Cool. It should be a heck of a good time. Um, Want to shoot us an email? By all means do. You can email us at podcast, Ethan, Barry, or Dave, all at screengeeks.com. You can also give us a call and leave us a voicemail at 719-695-0706. Um, like I said, next week it's going to be an Ethan episode, and I, I'm really looking forward to it because the there's been show. some crazy there stuff. Are, those are always the best episodes. I th- I figure. Yeah, it, it will. I don't know if it'll top the Freddy Got Fingered episode, but you know, 
Who knows? <laughs> wow, I don't know. Stay right. tuned for the Ethan show. <laughs> and it helps if I play the right music. Dad coming. All right, until next time. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is Bra. <laughs> 